Thank you for tuning in to Church on the Rock podcast. We have a great sermon in store for you. We hope this message challenges you, builds you, and motivates you into taking the next step in your purpose with God. Enjoy the sermon. Let's go over to Hebrews and and uh, and look at Hebrews chapter eight. We'll pick up there. Hebrews chapter 8, and I'll probably um, share this again in some other time. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, and I, I want to talk to you about a family covenant with God, your family covenant with God. And um, back in, I think it was 1989, I went to Tarrant County Convention Center with, um, with Dr. Jacobs. Probably the most trying time in, in my family, uh, in, in my family, I'm talking about me as husband and Pastor Cynthia as, as my wife, and uh, Keisha and Karina, Caleb and Candace were not born. And, and we went through a tragic situation, I, I would say, in our, in our, in our family. And uh, it was a very difficult time for us. Um, and we were with Dr. Jacobs. And um, I, uh, I, was, um, I was going to church. And um, after going through that situation, it would make you not want to go to church anymore. It would, um, it would make you have no feeling uh, for... Um, in worship, it would uh, cause you to wonder about your faith, and wonder about the Bible, about the uh, the solidity of the gospel. There can be things that come into your life that challenge your faith to the very core. I know people have gone to challenges; they don't go to church no more. And actually, when I went through this situation, Dr. Jacob said, Keith, I thought you was going to quit. And the devil's number one job, I keep telling people that, is to make sure you don't finish. He does not want you to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if you become a quitter, you'll never hear it. And I was out at, uh, I was out at the golf course, and this gentleman, he was one of the golf rangers. And he checks people in and makes sure people are not stealing golf rounds and stuff like that. And so, and he found out I was a pastor. And he told me, he said, I don't go to church anymore. He said, my wife passed away of cancer. And he said, I was so hurt. And I was so, uh, so distraught that my prayers didn't get answered. And I'm at home and I'm lonely and I'm by myself. And I feel like God let me down. And, and I don't go to church anymore. And so, you know, and I did my best to encourage him. And, uh, and a lot of them said when the, this church opened up on Dickens Road, they come to church. <laughs> it's interesting. He said, we come into your church. They already checked us out on Facebook and everything. But I encouraged him, and I just let him know that uh, you have to get to the place where you convince yourself and you solidify that God is not the problem. It's something you didn't know about the supernatural. It's something you didn't know about the power of God. It's something you didn't know about faith, and I'm going to help you tonight. And um, 
um, to deal with challenges of the highest order and the highest degree to try to come against your life to destroy uh, your confidence in God and in his word. And, um, and so when I was going through this, Dr. Jacobs called me in his office and he said, Keith, I'm going to um, uh, Tarrant County Convention Center. I'm going to hear uh, Brother Copeland at the Southwest Believers Convention. I don't even know what he's talking about. All I know is he's the greatest pastor that I ever had. And, um, and his, uh, his dedication and devotion to the word was second to none, and it still is. And, uh, but there was a subject that he had never taught because I don't believe he knew that subject at that particular time. And I'm talking about your covenant with God. And at this particular time, I didn't know the Bible was a covenant. I had no idea that my Bible was a final agreement between God and Jesus Christ. It's an unbreakable agreement. It cannot change. The Bible says that if one word failed to come to pass that God has promised, heaven and earth would pass away. I didn't know, and, and, and when I was in this meeting, Brother Copeland made a statement, and, um, and he made a statement. He made a statement, and the statement was, if, if a believer stood in faith and what they was believing for failed to, came to pass, come to pass, God would have to destroy himself. He's the only one that said it, and I've never heard another person say it besides me. Now, he said it on the fourth night, and that was the night I couldn't feel my body anymore. Um, I was over in the realm of the spirit, and it was something I was experiencing... Um, a encounter with God that I had never encountered in my life. And this is deeper than you think it is. It's wider than you think it is. It's bigger than you think it is. It's more than you could ever dream. When he says, I do exceedingly abundantly, but above all that you ask to think, think as big as you can think, and you ain't thought big enough. And, 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 um, uh, most believers never get to this point because when P Brother Copeland started preaching that night in 1989, he said, this is for people that are serious about God. He said, if you're going to go to sleep, I hope you go sound to sleep because I don't want you to get half for this. I didn't know my life was getting radically changed. For the first three days, I was listening, I was taking notes, but I don't even really know what he was talking about. It didn't hit me till the fourth night. I didn't know my Bible was a, a covenant agreement with God where he bound himself that he says, I'm not a man that I should lie. That it's impossible, the Bible says, for God to lie. So why do people think God lies? Why do people think what God promised is, is not true? Why do people think that God let their relatives die, God let somebody they love die? Why do they blame him? When his word says that he is forever with you, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Ask me and for whatever you ask me for in the name of Jesus, I will do it. Well, <laughs> James chapter 1 gives us a clue why a lot of why these promises evade people and they don't really live in them. The Bible said if you doubt God, you do without. I'm talking about momentary doubt. I'm talking about doubt when nobody else is around. I'm talking about doubt when you're in a trial and pressure comes on your life 
and you can begin to question God when nobody else is around. It's easy to shout hallelujah in the church when we are preaching on the anointing, the word is going. It's easy to believe him then. But faith is not a roller coaster. It's a consistent state of being and a consistent state of the heart. It's a consistent state of the mind where I refuse to doubt God. No matter how much pressure it looks like, no matter what the challenge looks like, no matter how much, no matter how much it looks like it costs, no matter what the doctor's report look like, I refuse to doubt God. Most people don't know how to do that. Because if you haven't been taught blood covenant, you don't know nothing about what we're talking about tonight. And, and when pressure really comes, you fold. And I'm ready to quit. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to throw in the towel. If you ever feel like that, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about. And so I was riding in the car with Dr. Jacobs, and I started telling him about my family covenant with God. He looked at me. He said, you did what? I said, I made a covenant with God, me and my whole family, all my children. All of my children, that we would serve him, that we would be totally committed to him. He said, you sat down with your family and you wrote a covenant with God and all your children signed it and we signed it in red to represent blood. That's why your New Testament is when it comes to the gospel, that when Jesus talks is in red. He's letting you know, I swear that every word I'm saying is truth and I swear it in my own blood. And so I signed it. Pastor Cynthia signed it. Candace signed it. Caleb signed it. Karina signed it. Candace signed it. And Keisha signed it. When Caleb signed it, I, you know, I thought that they would kind of, it was a serious moment because I knew what I was doing. But they were young. One day Agnes came to our house. said, uh, Caleb talked about resigning from the Metro Police Department. And he and I are going to start a business. But he talked about leaving. He said, I'm going to help my daddy in the ministry. Because I signed a covenant with God. I was shocked that he even remembered it. All the trouble he got in at school and all kinds of stuff like that and the, and the things he got into, he remembered that. It blew me. When I told Dr. Jacobs, he just did like I did. He almost went to tears. He said, Keith, I laid my hands on my children. I believe God to protect them, and I believe for them to follow the plan of God for their life. He said, but you sat down and made a covenant with God for your whole family? I said, Yes. He said, you need to teach people about that. Joshua said it like this, as for me and my house. As for me and my house, if you, want, if you want certain results out of your children, I'm talking to you young people tonight, and I'm talking, and I want to talk to you even about you that may have older children not even serving God like they should be. I'm telling you, you can still make a covenant with God, and it'll turn. It'll line up exactly like you want it to turn out. I made this agreement because when God told me, he said, I was, I, was at, I was at Church on the Rock and we were in the intercession 
And Dr. Jacobs used to pray in, and he would have kind of like, like these chairs are right around here in the front, and then he would have a semicircle come all the way around him, and then he would pray in the middle. He would walk up and down in the middle and begin to pray over the vision of the church. And one day while he was praying, he stopped in front of me. He said, you got three major decisions to make with your life, and then turned off and walked away. I said, wait a minute, hold up. <laughs> but, God, but God is going to bring you into it. So the first one was, are you going to answer the call to go into the ministry? Are you going to answer the call? People have no idea what this job entails. They don't have a clue. The day was, was like the day called the longest yard. Do you ever hear somebody's moving called the longest yard and all the things you got to do, you ain't got a clue. <laughs> I tell you, preaching is about 5% of my job. It's the other things. And, and if you're not prepared for it, it wipes you out. Preachers, are, preachers quit every day. And, and one of the largest churches in our city, the pastor just walked in and said, I'm done. I'm done. Because of the things that attach to this head, the devil knows you kill the head, the whole body dies. What do you do without the fivefold ministry gift? You do not finish without a pastor. And a lot of, and it's a lot of dingbats, knuckleheads, and I'm calling them that. And their life is shipwrecked and they are a total mess in their personal life because they don't have a pastor, but they want to stand up and preach to other people. And anybody listens to them, your life's going to be a total wreck too. You ought to know where people... You ought to know more about people than what they're saying in front of you. You ought to know something about how they live in their personal life. Because if, if you, the Bible said if you can't take care of your own house, how are you going to take care of the house of God? You out living in sin and fornicating and committing adultery and then standing up behind podiums and preaching to other people. I don't want to hear a word you got to say. Period. Can a person be anointed? Yes, but at the same time, you need, to be, you need to be a standard. First Peter or Second Peter said the fivefold ministry and people in leader ought to be an example to the flock. People ought to be able to look at your life and see how to live, and you ought to have some fruit in your life. Instead of sitting up hooping and hollering and think this is about oration, it's not. It's about how you live it. And so, and so uh, um, he said, uh, I said, I told him, I said, I made a covenant with God. I said, when God called me into the ministry and you gave me those three statements, I knew we were called and, and, and things like that. But, but the first decision was to accept the call on your life. The second was, was to move to Nashville. The third one of it is to, is to resign from your career and give yourself totally to the ministry. This is, a, this is, called, this is about devotion. That's what it's about. And so, and so when I did that, I said, it's going to affect my whole family. I said, it's going to affect my whole family. When you resign, you leave a career job where you're making six figures and you walk off that job. Some people want this. Some people want the mic and want the podium, but they don't have the character to finish. They don't have the character to do this. It's not in them. And it, and it just doesn't get in you by osmosis. Somebody has to train you up. 
And you have to be humble. You have to be submitted. You have to be willing to take correction and have instruction and direction. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. The devil, if he can destroy the fivefold ministry gifts, bring poor credibility to the fivefold ministry gifts, water down the church, there's no substance in it. Church don't even know the Bible's a covenant, no revelation in it, no power, no strength in it. A little disease comes through and shuts down the whole church and closes the whole thing down. This is about power. This is about power. Now, I know people are developing in their faith, but the fivefold ministry gifts ought to be farther than that by now. Well, anyway, um, I was in, um, uh, go over here to Ephesians. I know I've told you, I'll come back to Hebrews in a minute. Go over here to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 10. Now, up until the first building around in 2005, I remember November 2005, up until that point, I had made a decision to go into the ministry and I had started pastoring the church, but I still had my job with the Army Corps of Engineers. It was a mid to upper level management job. I briefed two-star generals and three-star generals. I briefed full bird colonels. I worked in the front office at the Corps of Engineers in Louisville District. And I was serving Fort Campbell. Everybody in the command, those men in the command knew me. The garrison commanders, a lot of the generals, definitely the colonels in uh, Fort and in the Louisville District. I flew in Blackhawks. Black Hawk, wasn't Black Hawk down, it was Black Hawk up. <laughs> I was working at a level, and then all of a sudden, I was working at, that, at, this, at this level, and I was excelling in my career. But I knew all the time in the back of my mind, one day, the last of the three things has got to happen. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And so when I was uh, 2005, we just finished the building. I framed every wall in that building. Brother Jerry helped me. And every, every two-by-four in that building, I put it in there with their help. And some days I was in there by myself. All the tile, we put it on the floor. All the paint, all the bathroom cabinets, the kitchen cabinets, everything. Everything. Framed it all up. And then about November 2005, I had my tool belt on, and I said, we're done. I was in the building all by myself. I said, we're done. Phone rang. It's Dr. Jacobs. He said, Keith, I'm going to Alabama. I want to know if you go too. I'm going to hear Dr. Refrain and Pastor Nance in Alabama. So <clears throat> I said, the building's done. I said, it's just a relief off of you. It was a challenge. We were $300,000 behind. Have you ever been $300,000? Shocked. <laughs> and God supernaturally come in and provide all the money. <laughs> you ought to live a life where you can't fail 
And I was trying to teach you how to do that Sundays. That means being faithful in another man's ministry so that yours will be given and you don't have to struggle in life for to do what God calls you to do. And so uh, after I got in that car, after the meeting was over with, it was the car I wish I hadn't got into. Because when I got down there, Pastor Nancy was preaching this message in Ephesians 2.10. It says right here, for we are God's or his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God have before ordained that we should walk in them. Which means God already knows what you're supposed to be doing. The question is, do I know what he's supposed to be doing? And you won't know what you're supposed to be doing unless you're under a ministry gift that already knows what they're supposed to be doing. Because Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they both hid in the ditch. I know now the reason why God moved me out of this city because can't nobody in this city train me to do what I'm called to do. Not on the level where God wanted me to do it. And so every major milestone of my life since the time Pastor Cynthia and I, I was, I was like 22. She was probably like 20. We were just totally devoted for God. As young people in college, we were just completely sold out. And when we told him we was going to live for him, we ain't never turned back. And that's the way we live. And so when we got to Indiana, we were passionate about the local church and about growing. And, and, and make a long story short, God led us to Dr. Jacobs. And so uh, um, after giving me those three things, he later on sent us out. And next thing we know, man, we out here on our own. And, uh, and I remember the old Baptist song they used to sing, Lord, we out here on your word. <laughs> Lord, I'm out here on your word. I mean, you're not in, you're not in Kansas anymore. God has sent you to a, a whole city away from your pastor and the greatest challenges, I was thinking, man, how do I keep my home together? How do I keep my marriage together? How do I raise my children? How do I pastor this church? It was just, it was just, it was just a challenge to confront that you're going to start with nothing. And you're going to raise up a local church from nowhere. And so the first year we got that prophecy from a small seed should grow a mighty tree. That's the first thing that God gave me. He said, Keith, you need to have confidence. I put you in this city. And I always questioned. I questioned. I kept questioning, Am I, do I belong here in this city starting from scratch? It's, I said, God, you got two churches on the corner, two in the middle, and two in two houses across the street. It was churches everywhere. I said, why do you need me to do this? And, uh, and I understand now why. But anyway, we progressed on until we got that, you know, we went on and we were at TNSC State University for seven years and then God told us to build this building. It was the greatest faith challenge that I had ever done in my life. And then we were done. The next thing you know, I'm on my way to Alabama. I get in there, Pastor Nancy reads this scripture. And God says, I didn't ordain you to be an engineer. You can have a lot of gifts and you can have a lot of talents, but you got to know what heaven wants to do with your life. Some people are, can be a one-talent person. Some people can be a two-talent person. Some people can be a third, three, a five-talent person. But eventually, you got to narrow in on what God wants you to do. you got to know what the highest calling is on your life. And I was not functioning in it. I was, I was doing, I was, I was double, I was double-directed. 
And the only reason why you stay at the Corps of Engineers because it's a safe place, you, you, you got finances taken care of, Pastor Cynthia started teaching, and so we was the engineering salary, a teaching salary, and we were making a lot of money. But that ain't what God wants. Now, here's the deal. Only you know that. To the natural-minded person, staying in the lane that you're in makes sense. God ain't trying to get you to make sense. He's trying to get you to produce faith. Faith in what he called you to do with your life. Your life, if it's not a faith life, it don't count. When you get in the presence of God and you stand before him, he's going to want to know that you fulfill our righteousness, that you fear fulfill what heaven planned for you to do with your life. And so when she read the scripture, the spirit of God spoke up and said, I didn't create you to be an engineer. I created you to be the pastor. And so now I'm at this third, third stage of the three things you got to do. And it was the hardest one of all. It was the hardest one of all. And I turned and I looked at Dr. Jacobs. I said, God just told me he didn't create me to be an engineer. He allowed me to do it for a season. Now I'm asking you to do what I really purpose for you to do in the earth. Will you sow that job and devote yourself fully to this word to train up the people I'm sending to you? I'm sending you to. <laughs> I was there with Dr. Dufresne. I was there with Pastor Scott Webb. I was there with Dr. Jacobs. And they were standing after the service, and I told Dr. Jacobs that then he went and told them that. Man, that's really done put me out there now. <laughs> I used to go to meetings and Dr. Dufresne would be in the meetings. He said, I'm telling you this. Because, see, they don't understand why you don't believe God. They way down the road ahead of you. I'm telling you, they so far down the road ahead of you that you, it behooves you to listen to them. Yeah. So every one of them had to go through this. You listen to their testimonies. If you're going to be in the fivefold ministry, you're going to learn to trust God. And if you don't learn to trust God, you don't belong in it because the number one assignment in your life is to teach people how to believe God in the impossible when it don't look like they can make it. You're going to have to stand up and stand with them when they're having challenges and all kinds of things and hell is breaking loose in their life. You're going to have to tell them the Lord will make a way somehow and it ain't going to have to be a song and the organ ain't going to be there. The choir ain't going to be there. It's just going to be you and them. And you're going to have to know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. And you're going to have to stand with them without wavering and let them know their God is bigger than they ever dreamed he is. And he is so behind them. He is so in love with them. He is so in, in love with their life that he wants to do nothing but bless them. I gave you my son. I'll freely give you all things. And you're going to have to be settled in the word. You're going to have to be ready. And ain't gonna There's nobody else to fall back on but Jesus. So it takes years. And his years standing in front of me. That's 40 years, 30. It was 100 years of ministry standing in front of me. And Pastor Scott Webb looked at me and said, I can't understand why man won't trust God. <laughs> They got these giant churches. They got airplanes. They done trusted God and done started from nothing. Because faith is a, an experience. And that faith means, it means you get experience and you understand what God is going to do in a trial or situation. They done walk through all of that. They, they, they've walked where I'm trying to walk. 
So look at me and say, I don't understand when a man won't trust God. And I used to go to some meetings and Dr. Dufresne knew I needed to sell my job and he would get up and preach in the service about a preacher that had about 30 members that wouldn't leave, the, wouldn't leave his job. And I'd look around in the service, I'd say, I'm the only preacher in here tonight I, that happens to have about 30 members and I got a job and I won't leave it. And he'd be over there preaching over here about this and I'm over there where Bradford is. I said, I don't care what you say. My bills are paid. And I ain't messing with these saints because most of them are ain'ts. And I ain't sewing my job for none of them. I'm keeping my children clothed and fed and I'm keeping a roof over my head. They'll get whatever kind of preacher I am. You can go on to another session, right? You can go on to another part of the Bible. Go on, go on to the rest of your message. I ain't studying all that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people do that because they ain't ready to change. You can be me preaching a message that people ain't ready for. <laughs> you can be preaching a message people not ready for. I said, I'm not doing that. I like having my bills paid. I like to go in and buy my children clothes and whatever they need. I like doing that. But they needed cars. I gave them cars. I gave them all cars. They didn't have to work for them. I gave them the cars. I like that. And now I'm in a message. I'm sitting in the church. Somebody up here talking about sowing your job. <laughs> No, so I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not doing that. You can preach all you want to. Why did I even come to this meeting tonight? <laughs> because it was Dr. Dufresne, and it was a special meeting. I drove all the way to Indiana. I'm, a, I'm pastoring down here now. I drove all the way to Indiana to hear this. All right. Now I'm in Alabama. Pastor Nancy speaks up, but this time the Holy Ghost speaks up. I didn't call you to be an engineer. See, I had to find out you can't do this job with another job. You cannot do this assignment. Not for long. Not for long. See, you're working in the building today. I mean, just working with people and working against the enemy and praying and all this kind of stuff like that. And they're coming here tonight to give you work. They cannot consistently do that. Eventually, he's got to build this building. Him too. I'm training them. Pastor Simon says, you're never going to stop building. Probably some more. You're in here too. We're going to need a building team. I can't spend these kind of hours. I can't spend these kind of hours doing this. This time around, I couldn't even look at the numbers. The bank asked for a construction budget. I tried to do it, and my brain froze. It just froze. I got a good mind. I can think. I can calculate. I can do a lot of things. So I got on the phone. I said, Bradford, you're going to have to do this. And he's done an outstanding job. I mean, I'm telling you down to the penny. He's done an outstanding job, and, and, and man, he's done it on the spot today. And we had to get, we, man, we had to get, a, we had to get our, our fire alarm system, you know, he had to get service for where the monitoring stars went 
talked to the fire department, and I told him to hold up on paying for the monitoring. And today, I called, I got the fire inspector, he's coming so we can have uh, occupancy for our building, for our meeting coming up in, in um, and we, well, we can use our meeting when Dr. Jacobs come and be in the building legally. And so we didn't have the fire monitoring done, and I told Bradford to hold off on it, I couldn't remember, and I said, he said, Dad, you told me to hold off on it. I said, why do you listen to me? But anyway, <laughs> but, but anyway, he said, I already had it, I already, you told me to hold up, but I did all the prep work. All I got to hit the button to send it to the, to the, all I got to do is hit it to send it to the fire monitoring company, and man, it's on. And so uh, I told that, I said, Brad, I got to have this done tonight, because <laughs> they're coming on Friday. The monitoring's got to be on, or they won't pass the building. And I the one told him to hold up. I'm the one told him to hold up. I said, it's got to be done tonight. You don't hang up the phone and say, that's what, you know, I, 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 I just want stuff tonight. I'm going to get it tomorrow. You don't need to be around me. Don't get close to me. Because, see, when people need me, I got to come right then. And this is about reciprocity. When you call me, I'll be there. It ain't no one-way street. This is a two-way street, or it's not a church. And I'm on the phone talking to the, the and they're calling me. They're telling me, you, you, we, we, there's nobody, to, we cannot meet. If that monitoring is not in place, we cannot meet with you on Friday to get your building open. He said, you got to have the electrician there. You got to have the fire monitoring guy there. And the fire marshal said, you got them two there, I'll be there. So the monitoring has got to get done tonight because I don't need no excuse coming from the, from the company that's working on this for us. And so I called a guy back up, and while I'm on the phone, he said, I just got an email. He said, your church administrator just sent this. I'm talking to him on the phone. I said, that's my son. <laughs> he said, really? He said, he got it done that quick? I said, well, praise God. <laughs> and so he got it in. He said, Mr. Rogan, uh, Pastor Rogan, we'll have this done tomorrow or no later than Monday morning. Got to be done Monday morning because the fire inspector comes in at 1 o'clock. So we're going to be talking to them. So the greater your responsibility and the assignment on your church, the more people you need. You got, you got to be able to count on people. You got to be able to count on people. John and Simon prophesied over my life. He said, Keith, he said, Pastor Rogan, he said, the building mission on your life will, will never stop. You'll be building your whole life. When you read the prophecies over this church, it's talking about a body of people that have to function as one. If you read the prophecies, it's talking about a body of people that have to function as one. And everybody's going to have their assignment. They're going to have to do their job. And it's going to be more people. And, it, and, and the bigger you, the things expand, the more structure you need because everybody's service counts. So it's coming to the place he's not going to be able to do it all by himself. And so everybody's assignment is really important. That's all I'm trying to say. And so let's go back here to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship. You're not your own workmanship. You're not to do your own thing when you come to Jesus. I always knew I was called. I was eight years old, and knowing it come on my life at eight years old. 
and it's, and it's followed me my whole life. I never told anybody I was called into the ministry. I didn't want to talk about it, especially while I was here in Nashville. As soon as I got on the ground in Indiana, I'm talking to Dr. Jacobs at a picnic. He looks at me. He said, Keith, you called into the ministry, aren't you? I said, my wife don't even know that. Nobody can hold you back. If God's got assignment on your life, it'll come to pass. But it'll be things you got to do to qualify for it. There's so many shipwrecking, so many people have disqualified themselves in the ministry, and they won't make it. God told me years ago, he said, Keith, because you've done it right, you can train other people if they will listen to you. Because you've done it right. And so we're going to raise people up in this church. We're going to raise people up in this church in different capacities of ministry if they qualify. Amen. And it says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, a new creation unto good works. Our works should be good. Amen. Our works, which are by the anointed one and his anointing, are supernatural works. It'll be a work that you cannot do in your own strength. This is not something we're doing in our own strength. Sometimes, sometimes I sit back and I'm thinking, I'm sitting in that building on that hill, and I know we were, eight, this time, $800,000 over budget, and it still comes in. All the money comes in. And all the money, all of it comes in because we kept saying all, because Pastor Nancy told me what to say. I was in California. She said, how's your building project going along, Pastor Rose? I said, all the money we needed, praise God. <laughs> all the equipment and all the, for everything you told us to say, we kept saying it. And it all came to pass. Why? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works. And it says right here, which God have before, God has already decided your work. You don't have to create nothing. You don't have to do nothing. And I'm telling you, it's exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask to think. It is rolling in health and strength and blessing because he needs somebody to get this gospel around the world. But you have to commit to him that you are all in. So I sat down with my kids after this trip. He says, and it says right here, it says, that we should walk in them. God wants to see you in the work he envisioned before the foundation of the world. He wants to see you in what he envisioned. I remember Kenneth Copeland, he said, I got preachers that, that's supposed to, I got, I got preachers that they're really supposed to be car salesmen, and I got car salesmen trying to be preachers. He said, people are all out of position and everything in the body of Christ. He said, they're all out of position. Dr. Dufresne said half of the men, the churches he visited, wasn't even pastors, they were businessmen. God ain't going to let you carry a mantle that he didn't plan for you. You don't get to choose your work in this. You do what he created you to do before the fountain, and it takes humility to do it. And it says right this, and so when I saw this verse of Scripture and the Spirit of God came and spoke to me, I turned to Dr. Jacob, I said, I got to sell my job. He said, what? What did God tell you? He didn't tell me, God told me. And then he went and told all the rest of them. And then when I walked into Pastor Scott's web of the office, the Spirit of the Lord, come on. You got one, you got that prophecy. He said, now that you have obeyed me, I'm going to do things beyond your imagination. And things that have been held up are going to be shaken loose unto you. Things are going to be coming, moving towards you. Your preaching is going to change. It's going to be more encouraging and more inspirational, and it's going to produce more fruit than ever. 
That's what he prophesied right there in the office. The Spirit of the Lord had come on him. And there are others too. And then I got full-time ministry installed in me. But Dr. Jacobs on that trip, he got aviation installed in him. Dr. Dufresne says, you're going to have to believe God to fly because you're going to move into. So we went to Alabama. Both of us got impartations for promotion in ministry. For me, it was full-time ministry. For him, he was going to fly. He's, his aviation ministry started on that trip because up until that time, he drove everywhere or flew commercial. But Pastor Scott Webb had his own plane. And Dr. Dufresne wanted to get aviation in him. See, we just flew to California in a private jet. I ain't going to tell you what it costs. God is not trying to save men's life on a budget. He said, if I gave Jesus, I freely give you all things. And, and Pastor Nancy tried to help us millions on this congregation. And the Holy Ghost tried to help us millions on this congregation. You're supposed to have more than you got right now. And it's not because you are so smart. It's because he ordained it. Yes. Amen. Praise God. He, it was because he ordained it. It's because Johnny Simon, Pastor Simon, prophesied, Keith, you're going to have to keep building. So that's why it's going to take millions. You need to get those prophecies and you need to go over them because you need to understand what we're doing here. Amen. This ain't no normal church on the corner. It's a church on the rock. <laughs> and upon this rock I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Boy, you ought to know that's working. So when I'm in that meeting, I'm surrounded by all these men of God and I'm thinking I'm going to sew my job and everything. And Then they start talking to Dr. Jacobs about flying. They said, but let Pastor Scott Webb fly you home. Don't drive home. I said, wait a minute, he done picked me up and drove down here, and now they're going to get on a private jet and fly back. Fly for that plane and fly back. <laughs> Don't ever try to be where you ain't supposed to be. It's the time to stay in your lane. Don't get an appetite for somebody else's lane. You need to listen to me. Yeah, it is good. It is good. So, Dr. Jacob said, fly home and Pastor Scott's Webb, Pastor Scott Webb's plane. He had a 421 turboprop, two-engine plane, and uh, eventually that's exactly the plane Dr. Jacobs bought. <laughs> but you can't go somewhere that somebody don't pull you into. That's what I'm telling <laughs> So they decided to put aviation in him. And they put aviation in him. And uh, he said, how am I going to get my car home if I fly? They looked at me and they said, that's what he's for. So let him drive your car back to Nashville. And then Dale and uh, Dale Tillett and uh, Brother Sean Guerin came back to the brand new building, was just opening up. They came back to our building in Madison. They met me there. They took the, they, one of them jumped out of the car. They drove down in, and they jumped in Dr. Jacobs' uh, BMW 75i. Boy, that car can fly. So I got to drive this luxury BMW back from Alabama all the way back to Nashville. And people see you in a car like they want to race with you. You know what I mean? 
I tell them, I said, you don't want to mess with this. I was trying to tell them why we all know how. You know, this ain't even my car. I don't want to do that to you. It's not my car. But they kept messing with me. And all I can tell you is the, the scripture is right. The Egyptians you see today, you will not see anymore. I ain't going to tell you what I did. Praise God. But I didn't see them no more. I, just, I kept driving. I didn't see them no more. That's all I'm going to say about that because it wasn't my car. But anyway, and I ain't never talked to Dr. Jacobs about that. But anyway, <laughs> he don't even own that car no more. So he flew home in that plane, and he saw how efficient travel saves your body. You have to understand, you are more valuable than an airplane, than a house, than a car. There's nothing God will not give you while you on your assignment. So now... I got to come home and talk to Pastor Cynthia about sewing my job. And we just start talking. And I don't remember argument or nothing like that. I just remember it wasn't fruitful. I said, God, I ain't doing this. Go find you another boy. I'm going to keep my job. And I'm not leaving. And I told him that. And I walked off. About six months later, I'm in uh, New Albany, Indiana. Dr. Dufresne and Pastor Nancy are ministering at Dr. Jacobs' church. He invited them in. It's six months. I'm still with Corps of Engineers. I'm still working my job. I don't have to be at my desk. My job, I can be anywhere I want to be. And so I scheduled some work in the city of Louisville so that I could go to the meeting. And so uh, I had all kinds of vacation time. I never took off of work. I worked at the church. I worked at a secular job. I never took off. Dr. Dufresne, he couldn't even believe it. One day, somehow he figured it out. He said, you built the building, pastor the church, took care of your family, and kept your secular job. You did all of that? He said, nobody does that. Not only that, I, I, everything framed it all. I'm not lazy. I, I know how to work from sunup to sundown. But there comes a time you can't keep doing that. You just got a body. And so uh, God was saying, stop. He was saying, stop. He was trying to tell me, stop, and I'll take care of you. So I go to the meeting. I'm comfortable. I'm getting paid. I'm still in the ministry. I told God, no, six months ago. Don't nobody really know I changed my mind. I ain't told Dr. Jacobs I changed my mind. So I get in the meeting, and I'm sitting down. Pastor Nancy gets up and speaks. She says, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's six months later. I said, ain't you got something else to preach on? <laughs> she started reading. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God have before ordained that we should walk in them. And then Ephesians, I mean, Amplified said, live in the good life. Living for God is the good life. It's the blessed life. It's the overflowing life. Amen. When you're doing what he ordained for you to do with your life. He said, Keith, I didn't create you to be an engineer. I created you to be a pastor. I got home. I got back to my hotel room that night. I picked the phone up. I called Pastor. I said, Pastor, you ain't going to believe what happened tonight. She said, I said, the same message she preached six months ago is what she's preaching right now. 
She said to me, this thing will never leave you. Because it's God's assignment on your life. It'll never leave you until you obey him. There's certain levels you get with God and there's no turning back. Jesus said, whoever puts his hand to the plow and start plowing and all of a sudden looking back, he's not even worthy of me. Because your life is not, it's not about you anymore. You already saved. Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. You're going to heaven. The question is, will you live your life so that somebody else can be blessed? Because the blessing of Abraham is that you shall be a blessing to all nations. And when you become a part of a local church, you begin to fulfill that prophetic word because whatever supply you bring to this church means somebody's going to get saved, somebody's going to get healed, somebody's going to get delivered, somebody's life is going to change because of how you gave and how you lived and how you served. She said, this ain't going to never leave you. So I took out a piece of paper. I knew about blood covenant. I said, this is going to affect my whole family. I sat down and wrote about a 10-page covenant with God. I said, if I do this, you're going to have to do this. And I wrote a covenant. See, I knew about covenant. I knew that you could take the scriptures and you could begin to craft out the life that you, he ordained for you to live, you can document that ordained life. I started at eight years old and I started talking about how you touched me at eight, called me into the ministry. I started describing all my divine experiences and every prophetic word you had over my life because I don't ever want to question my call now. I will never doubt the assignment on my life. And I started talking, I started taking all the promises that had to do with the fivefold ministry. This is what I'm expecting of you. This is what you will do for my children. This is what you will do for my life. This is what you would do for my wife. This is what you would do for this church. This is what you said. And then it came to the signature block. Come to the signature block. I said, it's going to affect everybody. I can't just sign this. So I created a place for Pastor Cynthia to sign created a place for Keisha to sign, created a place, you remember? I created a place, I had to send it to you because Candace couldn't remember it. She said, send me that. I said, I said, the original is still in my office. Created a place for Karina to sign, Caleb to sign, and Candace. And when I got home, I made six copies, and I gave it to them sitting in my house. Dr. Jacob said, you did this. I said, it was going to affect them. He said, you need to teach people. Because the way this works is that's for me and my house. What you are ordained for will affect your house. So I said I'm going to include all of them. He said, I just, you thought about doing that? He said, I've never heard of it. You need to teach people how to have a family covenant with God. Decide what you, if you're going to give your all to this, he said, go in the vineyard and work, and whatever is right. Guess who gets to decide what's right? Whatever is right, I will pay. That's in there. He said, whatever's right. If you're going to sow your life, David, when he was, he said, if I go out there and cut Goliath's head off, what are you going to get for this? <laughs> what are you going to get for this? He talks about people that went out and worked. 
And he said, we, he talked, gave the parable about, about, about the servants that went out and worked in the field. And they got to pick their own wage. I wrote it all down. And I got home and I sat down and I read it to them all. And then we took out the bread and the wine. Symbols of the covenant. And we took communion and we prayed and we said, this is the deal. And that's the way it was. And look what it says right here. Let's look over here in Ephesians. Um, go back to Hebrews now. Hebrews, yes, where I want to go. Hebrews chapter, chapter 10, I mean chapter 8. And uh, it's not about you just serving God. It's about what you do with your whole household. And uh, we were sitting in the car. He said, I can't believe you did it. He said, I laid hand on my kids. I believe for them. He said, but I never took communion. I made a covenant with my whole house. This is how we're going to serve God. Pastor Petrie comes in the city. He said, Keith, I, he said, I travel all over the United States. There's no family. Man, I camp. He just not used to I camp. Where every one of the children are serving God. He says, Sally may be, but Junior and Fred are not. Amen. Fred might be, but Sally and Louise are not. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I just, after I learned about blood covenant, I knew that there are times you have to stop and you have to make, you have, you're not solidifying it for God. You are solidifying it for yourself. You're terminating with him what you want. That's why he said, whatever you ask me for. It's a covenant invitation. The Bible said, let your requests be made known unto God. Sit down and document with him. It's over 7,000 promises in this Bible. And you sit down and you document with him. This is going to be our life. And then what does he do? He turns around and does exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask or think. So that when you're done in this life, you like Abraham, you're blessed in every possible way. I believe y'all write this down and do this like I'm telling you, praise God. You're going to see manifestations in your family. You're going to receive redemption break forth in your family. You're going to see supernatural increase take place in your life. Over in the... Um, over in, the, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, it says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. You don't have to read far in Romans chapter 9 and find out you are the house of Israel. Said the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. But what I did, I took, him, I took what he had given us and I put it to paper for my mind. And in and, and their minds, and write them in their hearts, and I will, be their, uh, I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. We had to determine, and, man, and that's what I love about Pastor Cynthia, is her passion for God. A lot of times I look at her, and I'm, I'm after, you know, worked all the day today, and, and, I'm, and I was late because, I mean, I didn't start getting ready until like 6 o'clock. I normally start at 530 
But just got home, man, and just everything that went on today, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to sit here. And normally I get up and I start getting dressed and I go back to the bedroom. I said, Cindy, you're going to have to preach for me tonight. Go on, in, go on in there by yourself tonight. I'm staying in. Of course, she knows I'm joking. But tonight she was tired and she beat me to it. She said, you can go on in by yourself tonight. <laughs> but the thing I love about her, she has a passion for y'all. She loves y'all. She want to be around you. She wants to fellowship with you. Amen. And so, and so that's my life. Amen. And so it says, right, and they shall, um, and it goes on to verse 11. It said, they shall not teach every man his neighbor, but every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me. All shall know me. That means every person should know what they are ordained to do. Every person should know what they are ordained to do. And you need to make, a, make an agreement with God that I am going to fulfill the assignment on my life based on what I know today. Amen. Based on what I know today, and it can it can extend and grow. You know, and since since I wrote that out, it's been more prophetic words over my life, and I have to add that together. So, in my prophecy book, is that family agreement is all the prophecies over this church and all the scriptures. I have an expectation for God to fulfill, and that's how I live with my life. And but that agreement is still signed. It's I don't know how many years. I got to go back and look at the date. Well, it was, it was probably around about 2007. That's when I left. I didn't, I, you can't walk out of the federal government and say I quit because you take an oath to go in and you swear to defend the Constitution. You, you take an oath to go in there and work, just like a soldier would or anybody else. And because you take an oath to go in and, and, and the way they, they bring you in and, and it's a contractual agreement to come in there and work. You can't just go in there and say, I resigned. I didn't know that. And I kept trying to resign. Once I go, I went back in, I said, y'all, I'm leaving. They said, okay, ha, ha, ha. Nobody believed I was leaving. I said, oh, man, he's just playing. He got that preacher stuff going on right now. And give him a few weeks, he'll get over it. And it went on after I made my mind up to leave. I, it went on for months. Nobody, I thought, I mean, look at all these projects I got. in. y'all going to get somebody here to do this? Nobody moves because you can't leave by saying, I quit. So one lady I was in there, I said, I can't leave this place. They won't replace me. It's just like I can, you just can't go home and stop showing up and say, you quit. I didn't know that. You went AWOL. That's what you did, even as a civilian. She turned around, and I explained to her what was going on. I said, I can't get out of here. I went all the way up to the front office and went all the way to Louisville back to the front office and told them I'm resigning. And, and all the chiefs sit around to me and pat me on the back. It's a great thing you're doing, yada, 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 and so forth and so on. I called them back two weeks later. Y'all got anybody to do this project? Nope. They're not even thinking about it. And the lady said, you know what? She said, you can't leave the government like that. She said, you really want to leave? I said, yes. She turned around and pulled out a form. It's a discharge form. I said, you sign this and fill it out. They have to move because this is an order. It becomes a order, it becomes a command, it becomes a military order, and they gotta move. I said, give it to me. And I went back to my desk and I started filling it out, and they said, why are you leaving? I said, to pursue, pursue other endeavors. <laughs> I didn't want people to know what I was doing. And the Holy Ghost said, stop. You are not pursuing other endeavors. You write down there. 
So this thing remains in the archive of the government of the United States forever that you are going to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God and you're doing it for Jesus and that's what you write down there and let it be known forever that's what you are doing and I promise you I owe you a hundredfold return and that's what you put down. And I said, okay. <laughs> I turned that dude in, human resources called me. They said, bring back your computer, your phone, bring back your beepers and everything you ever took from the federal government to use to do your job. You bring everything back in there. And they had records of it because I was signed receipts of it, everything I had. We want every laptop you using or not using. We want every phone you using or not using. We want every beeper. We want everything we ever gave you. And they sit down with you and they check everything off and they process you out of the government. <laughs> now you can go do what you want to do because you are out of here. <laughs> See, it's just, it's just how it operates. And so, uh, and so, man, I was off. I was off. And we started this journey, and the challenges came in the area of finances make a long story short, God brought me in this. He brought me in my office. He said, Keith, I'm going to help you because you were faithful in another man's ministry. I'm going to tell you how this works. You must teach honor in your church. And you must teach financial honor. I will not bless your church. If they don't take care of you, I will not bless not a one of them. And that's when I got the revelation of Philippians chapter 4. He said, Keith, you need to write a book on that, on financial honor. When I told him the conversation me and God had in the office, and, sent, and as soon as I implemented financial on this church, the ministry just exploded. There are critical areas that must be fulfilled in the body of Christ. And the number one is honor. And the next is you must have an understanding of covenants with God. Look over here in Hebrews chapter 6. This is my last verse of Scripture. And uh, this is my last verse of scripture. When you see my family, you will be smart to respect them, my children. Don't be becoming that you just think that's who they are. No, they ain't covenant with God. They they signed a covenant with God as children. And they're walking in that now. A lot of people want to be careful how they treat me. No, you need to be careful how you treat my whole family. Dr. Jacob said, you got to teach people. He said, you, he said, you got to teach this. He said, people don't think about going in covenant with God with their whole family. After I left Tarrant County Convention Center, that's all I think about. When the rubber gets to the road, I ain't running nowhere. I don't care how tight it looks. I don't care what kind of pressure it is. I, I could care less. When I walked out of that building that night, he said, Keith, would you ever doubt me ever again? I don't care how dark it great the challenge is, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I will be with you to the end of the world, and I got your back 
And now you go do what I ordained you to do. It don't matter how difficult it looks, I will bring you through. And I got your back. And I am trying my best to get eight hours a day, six days a week blood covenant in this church where you chew demons up and spit them back out. You walk, through, you walk through the flames. You walk through every challenge. You never question whether God is on your side or not. In every battle you get into, faith is the victory that overcomes, and you are more than a conqueror. You, you are done losing anything for the rest of your life. You're not losing children. You're not losing your mind. You're not going to lose your health. You're going to live in the blessing, and anything ain't looking like it's going to serve God, the devil's going to have to turn loose of everything that belongs to you where it looks like he never touched your life. Because your covenant is so strong, it raises the dead. It'll raise the dead. My God, and I'm going to have to get that preached into you so strong, and I'm doing it right now, but bless God, there's more to come. The fourth night, Tarrant County Convention Center. The challenge was what happened to us, we had, a, we had a baby born prematurely, and I did the best I could believe the child wasn't heaven. After I got off that plane, God, you ain't so Keith, I thought you was going to quit. I ain't a quitter. I ain't a quitter when I don't even understand what's going on. <laughs> I don't even know what happened right now, but I ain't quitting. <laughs> and I know it ain't God's fault. I know I doubt it. I just didn't know how not to doubt. So I preached a message one time on living without doubt. You got to know how not to doubt God. And I learned it. He said, Keith, I'm going to Tarrant County Convention Center. Do you want to go with me? He don't even know what he invited me to. He don't know what that man going to preach on. It was three preachers in the room. They all slept in the bed. I had to sleep in a cot next to the wall. I lived out of my suitcase next to the wall. Sometimes it don't matter how I got to live. I'm with my man of God. I didn't even have the money for the plane trip. The church paid for my airline ticket. Pay for my room. All I had to do was pay for my food. I got in the first night. I ain't never seen that many people in one place worshiping, serving God in my life. It was just a new experience. It was a whole coliseum of people. I ain't never seen that many people at church before. They preached two hours. Man, we went to prayer in the morning, two hours of teaching right after that, two hours of teaching. It seemed like it was two hours of teaching. We went to lunch, and there was two more hours of teaching right after that. And then Kenneth Copeland get up preaching night. He didn't care what time he quit. He don't care what time he quit. Because saturation of the word solves every problem. Yeah. What we doing here Sunday morning, pop in Wednesday night. <laughs> that ain't how you get there. That's not how you get there. That's a farce. You can't even get an education doing two days a week. You can't get out of kindergarten doing two days a week. No, you can't. They're going to get you on attendance. 
they're going to get you on the tennis and longer. You might still may know how to do your ABCs, skipping some letters, though, and running them together. But the bottom line is they're going to say, you need to stay back. You did not meet the requirement, attendance requirement. No, nothing is two days a week except for the church. That's why it's so far behind, and that's why it's steeped in doubt. And I don't live like it. Expect me to live like the rest of them, run around from Corona? I don't live like you. You got to run from it because I don't live like you. I don't think like you. I don't think nothing like most preachers in this city. I'm talking about maybe 90% of them. Nobody can think like you unless they walked in your shoes and had the same spiritual parents and grandparents that you had. I have a distinct lineage to think certain ways. That man has never, Kenneth Copeland has never preached like that ever again. There's some kind of, the Holy Ghost got on him in a way, and I've tried to, <laughs> I've tried to get his other series on covenant. I said, it ain't the same. David's trying to get my tape I got by my bedside. He keeps asking me for it. Still by my bedside <laughs> that night. He keeps asking for it. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to all of you. Come Eight hours a day come Thursday night. I walked in there. He said, this is what I'm going to talk about tonight. It's for people that are serious about God. And if you're going to go to sleep, go sound sleep. Because I don't want you to get part of it. And this is what he, this is when I saw it. He says over here in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. It says that you be not slothful, two-day-a-week Christians, but followers of them who through faith and patience, they got the promises. When God made promise to Abraham because he could swear or cut an oath by, swear by no greater, he swear by himself, said, I will destroy my, I promise you, I'll destroy myself. If I don't bring a, if I don't bring a baby out of you and I bring a baby out of that woman, I swear I'll destroy myself. He said, Keith, I had to cut a covenant with you like this so that you would never doubt me. You see me as a God with a way out. This says I have no way out. Whatever I said, that's the way it's got to be. I ain't had nobody preach like that, Dr. Jake. And he knew how to trust God, but he didn't know blood covenant. So he had more experience than I did. When he, got in a, when he got in a spiritual fight with his baby, he won. That's how Jordan got born. The placenta, his faith caused the placenta to move. And his son lived. Mine didn't. Do you quit? My mama just raised me not to quit. I love my mom. She's, I call her Blanche. That's her first name because I call her Mary Blanche. I call her by first name. Blanche, what do you want? I, used to, I just started doing that. But Blanche will let you quit nothing. You can come home and want to quit the baseball team. You don't quit. You finish out the season. <laughs> These people now, they're letting their kids come home, quitting everything. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with this generation. Anyway, I'm going to work with it. I said, I ain't quitting. I know this ain't God's fault. 
saying, Blessed I will bless thee and multiply and after multiply. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear men make covenants with other men. And an oath for confirmation is an end of all doubt. That's why I got the message from living without doubt. When you understand covenant, you don't doubt no more. Because you know the person on the other side of the agreement ain't got no way out. The only way out is death. And that's how men made covenants. So when I preached this years ago, how men made covenants and broke them and they died, it's all in your Bible. God said, I'm taking the same covenant that took men's lives when they broke the word. And I'm binding myself to the same covenant with you. So if you understand blood covenant, you know I ain't got no way out. But this is an Eastern-minded book trying to get into Western-minded people. And they read it and they never see it. And then all of a sudden it hit me that I said, I said, you are totally committed to me. He said, I had your back. Don't you ever doubt me again. And we stood up out of Tarrant County Convention Center. Me and God walked out. I couldn't even walk with no, I couldn't even walk with people. I left Dr. Jacobs, I left all the preachers, and we, me and God went walking down the sidewalk at Tarrant County Convention Center. And it got to the place, I know what it means to be in the spirit. I couldn't even feel my body. He said, don't you ever doubt me again. I got off that plane, I got home, I looked at her, I said, we'll never lose again, and we're gonna have another son. And we named him after Dr. Jacobs, Caleb Michael Roach. He's a covenant baby. He's, he's, a, he's a covenant child. All of them are. But he was the first one, and I got home. We got home past us, huh? Keisha named him Caleb. But then I named him Michael after Dr. Jacobs. And so we got home. I, Cynthia hadn't been there, so I had to catch up. That's what I told her in the airport. I said, we're going to have another baby. So we, I got all the scriptures. I found out you could call the sex out. I don't care what people say. I don't play with other people. I read my Bible. Hannah asked for a son. All I got to know is, is, is God did it for you. That's all I need. That's all I need, that, that you used the covenant and got some from him. That's all I need to know, amen. Amen, he is not a respecter person. He respects faith. He respects faith in his word. All I need to know is he did it for you. That's all you got to tell me. The Lord bless me again. Okay, I'm taking note of that, all right. See, I learned how to deal with God on his word. I don't just throw up prayers. I sat down and I wrote. I documented how son would be born to the two of us. And I took the words right out of his pages. Then I brought in the bread and the wine, symbols of the covenant. He knows exactly what I'm doing. Sunday morning, first Sunday, we bring communion out. People throw the jig of juice and cup and threw the little cracker back in their mouth. They don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> it's supposed to remind you, you're in covenant with the Most High God. And you don't break your word to him, and he can't break his word to you. And that's how y'all live. Set them. I set that. I set that petition in front of God. Pastor Cynthia and I got on our knees and we lit candles and everything and we set the bread and the wine before God. We read the covenant agreement back to him and we took communion and prayed and we believed God, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be a board and everything. My God, it all come to pass just like we said it. And then years later, 
It's the end. You got to end. You got to you got to end out. You got to end it. You go home and you say we're going to make a covenant with God about our family. You got it to write it in the way the end of all strife because all unbelief is is arguing with God. That's all unbelief is, is he's talking about arguing with me, contending with God. No, this is not possible. You can't do this, God. It's impossible for this to happen. No, that you. He said, I don't want to be in strife with you. I don't want to hear your questions. I don't want to hear your reasons. I don't even want to hear what you think. I want to end strife with you. Because strife is unbelief. He said, when God, he took the God, took the same covenant that men cut. More abundantly showing to the heirs of promise, that's you. The unchangeableness of his counsel, he confirmed it with oath, I swear I will destroy myself. Forever break my word to you. Therefore, by two immutable things, it's impossible for God to lie. We might have strong confidence who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set which hope we have as an anchor to the soul you need something to anchor your mind your spirit will stand with God but you need an anchor to the soul and it is that blood it's the blood that Jesus shed and it's the cup and it's the bread it's the blood it's his body and when you take those elements, you know that God will have to destroy himself. Therefore, I refuse to doubt. I'll run off every, I'll run off every thought of unbelief. I'll run it off. I don't even repeat what the devil's doing. I don't go back and say, well, you know, he said, Keith, is things happening on this project that ain't right? He said, I want you to talk about it. You talk about what I'm doing. Don't you even repeat what the devil is trying to do to try to stop you. You may tell us a few select people, but don't even bring it up no more. You bring up my word. You talk about my covenant more than you talk about the problem. And then he says right here, which hope we fled with anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enter within the veil, which means when you make it a covenant family agreement with God, it goes up into heaven and it sits before God. <laughs> your, your family covenant goes up into heaven and sits in the presence of God and he is on assignment to bring every word of it to pass. He's releasing angels, praise God. And once you give it to him, lightnings and thunders and voices and earthquake are thrown back into earth and he's going to bring it all to pass. Because it's in his throne room. And the Bible said he watches over his word to perform it. And he says, where, that, where, the, where the forerunner is in it, even Jesus made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to put my brand new Bible back in the box where it came out of. You need to make a covenant with God. You already have it, but you need to solidify something. Solidify that you're never going to be broken. Your family's not going to be poor. Solidify some things with God that you're going to have health all the days of your life. Solidify some things with God that your whole house and your children are going to live for him and serve him and let them be a part of that covenant. You get some help tonight.